Hello and welcome back to Movies On My Mind. It has been a long time, about like a month, but I'm back. And today, what I was going to do was... I had actually no idea what I was going to do. It sounds like I used that whole month to do some really important planning when I actually didn't do that much. I did not do that much. However, it's okay, I'm back now and uh, I'm going to kick off this new kind of like era of movies on my mind with my new logo, but also uh, with Alice in Wonderland from 2010, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, why have I chosen this one? To be fair with you, I don't really know. to do this so if you want to stay in the loop of course then uh please follow my instagram movies on my mind pod and also my tiktok that's been slowly kind of like i'm putting more stuff on there also movies on my mind pod if you like the show rate the show please and just yeah and if you've got any ideas for anything that you want me to do then please dm me or whatever i do put some polls out and some questions out as well on my instagram so uh, please join in with those. That would be great. But yeah, so I'm starting off with this one. Now, why have I chosen this film? It's very bizarre. One, I absolutely love Tim Burton, as my podcast will suggest. I have, this is my third Tim Burton film that I'm talking about. I don't really know why I love Tim Burton stuff so much. For me, out of like all the directors and everything, I don't know. I'm always drawn to his stuff. And an unpopular opinion. So this film came out in 2010. I actually, when I was a kid, I went to the cinema to go and see this. This is one of the first kind of like cinema experiences that I had that I can remember and going to see a film on my own. So I didn't go with like my family. I went with a friend to go and see this film. And I remember it. I remember sitting in the cinema and watching it. So that is more than I remember going previously to go and see something so it felt like my first kind of more grown-up film as a kid and I remember going to see it and I, I don't think I had seen the original Alice in Wonderland before then so I like didn't have a clue what was going on to be fair or I'd seen bits of it but I went to go and see it and I really enjoyed it as a kid um which is weird because this film got a very much mixed reception when it came out um but I really liked it and I continue to like this film and a lot of people don't. I remember when it came out, uh, people were like, oh, why is Tim Burton directing Alice in Wonderland? That's so weird. What's going on? Um, this is so strange. However, I still stand by that that was a really good decision and I respect this film. And I'm going to talk about it today. I'm going to talk about why I respect this film and also just what this film means to me uh, in terms of watching it and um, why I like it uh, and why other people might not like it because I think it's, it is a mixed bag. I think it is a personal choice. Of course, it always is a personal choice. Regardless, I'm going to be talking about it. So what is this film about and how is this different to the original? Like, why did they have to remake it? You know, this came out in 2010, so it was kind of like the start of Disney remaking stuff. And they hadn't really done a lot of remaking before then, but then they just decided to do loads for no reason. And half of it was done in studios. It was like animation and real life. It's kind of mixed CGI, that kind of thing. They had a go with that um, at that kind of period of time. And usually I don't really love that stuff. Um, however, this film, 
I can deal with it. <laughs> I can deal with it in this film. Okay, I don't know. I haven't been on this podcast for ages, so I'm like making... I don't know how to talk. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't... <laughs> it feels like I'm doing it all over again. Um, I shouldn't have stayed that long away, but it, who cares? I'm back now. It's going to be a messy as hell episode. Let's go into the, into the plot and kind of like what was chosen and what was not chosen and... Yeah, I mean, I actually haven't read Alice in Wonderland. I remember, I think we have at my house, there's like a book that's got loads of like really cool illustrations in. I've never read it. Uh, I have seen the original animated film, but I actually saw that after I saw this. This film does very much reference a lot of the stuff that happened in the first animated film. And it also references um, the second book, because there is a second book called Alice Through the Looking Glass. Um, it's like a second part, whatever. And that was actually made into another film with the same kind of cast in as this one that came out after. Now, I haven't re-watched that one, but I actually also enjoyed that film. I have seen that and I liked it. It's not Tim Burton. However, the aesthetic is very similar. So the second film came out in 2016. This was in 2010. And it was not directed by Tim Burton, but the aesthetic is similar and the cast is also the same. What is this film about? So basically, um, because it's called Alice in Wonderland, it is a little bit of a twist on the actual Alice in Wonderland. So it's not exactly the same, just like just a retelling, it's, it's changed. What happens is this is set when Alice is 19 years old. So it's kind of set after the events, technically, of the animated film um, and is her older. Um, and basically she goes back to Wonderland or it's called Underland in this version. So Alice is due to be engaged and married to this like Lord guy who is not, no, no one wants to be married to this guy. Anyway, she doesn't really know she's gonna be married to him and then all of a sudden he like proposes to her and she's like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Whatever. She then kind of like runs away as you would and um, falls down the rabbit hole. And then there we go, we start the film's journey again however it's not exactly the same to the animated journey so she basically retraces her steps because as a child she had these dreams about wonderland and she kept having these dreams as she got older and um, her father was a big influence in her life and he recently um, passed away in this ad adaptation that is important because i believe that is a really important thing towards her character in this film but basically she's kind of dealing with that and then she goes back to wonderland but it's almost like if it's real if is it not real is it a dream etc loads of that stuff going on very trippy um kind of the characters that are in the animated do like come into this um and they act as if they already know her because she's like already been there before we have the queen of hearts um and all that kind of stuff going on but then we also have like other stuff added in so like the more of like wonderland lore so stuff like there's like this dragon called the jabberwocky and um a, like a beast called a bandersnatch etc they had look they are from um poems and also kind of excerpts from like alice through the looking glass that lewis carroll wrote so the other book um and poems he wrote and stuff like that so they are taken from wonderland lore if that makes sense so they are relevant um however tim burton kind of takes them and then combines them into the wonderland 
landscape that he's already created and yeah basically she comes in and it would not be like a fantasy story without there being a prophecy and some destiny and basically the prophecy states that Alice is gonna slay this dragon Jabberwocky thing and then Underland is gonna become more like Wonderland it's I think it still stays Underland to end the kind of the reign of the red the queen of hearts that's what she's called or the red queen I'm calling her the red queen so to end her like tyrannical reign um Alice has to slay this beast and everything's gonna be fine so it's a little bit more like action-packed than maybe the original which I like because I definitely don't get bored on the first one I yeah I don't have enough attention span to fully be invested in the first Alice in Wonderland film the animated one this whole thing is very trippy and bizarre and that is why I've chosen this film to talk about because I'm feeling trippy and bizarre myself (laughs) I'm feeling very bizarre right now so this is a perfect film to talk about so that's the difference and then she comes back into the real world at the end realizes it wasn't maybe a dream but kind of is a dream it's bizarre but anyway she then makes her decision uh, spoiler <laughs> i'll spoil the end um she makes a decision the in girl boss fashion that um she doesn't want to be married to this guy anymore she want to be married to anyone she wants to be an apprentice and work in her father's company that she has had some some sort of curiosity in anyway i do not know what her father did he did something with shipping to different countries in like victorian england but uh, that's all i know uh, but anyway she sets sail and uh, that's the end of the whole film i do like this kind of twist on the classic tale because it takes me back to one of my favorite tim Burton films which is sleepy hollow and i did loads of research for sleepy hollow i even read the book I mean, the short story. I watched the Disney cartoon interpretation of it. And by far, every single time, Tim Burton's version of it was way better. Absolutely. I cannot believe that they are the same story. Like, they come from the same story. Washington Irving, whatever his name is, did not deserve Tim Burton to turn his shitty story into such a masterpiece. And I'm a sucker for that. It's very mainstream what Tim Burton has done with both stories but I I like it it makes it more exciting instead of just being boring but I like how we had a little bit of action put in and we had a little bit of backstory that was put in as well and I mean some of it's a bit cliche but at the same time I like it so there you go and it works for the whole Tim Burton aesthetic what I really love about it is that every time Tim Burton's given like one of these projects and it's based on like a story that already exists he very much always turns it just into his own thing and it's so like auteur of him and pastiche of him to turn like all this stuff into his own thing and you know that it's a tim burton story Uh, i love that i cannot get enough of that every single time his aesthetic again is just really um classic re you know copy and paste but i cannot get enough of it (laughs) and then also the things he uses to tell the story and the way he tells a story is also the same and i really love that and it's no different in alice in wonderland and people don't talk about this film enough i don't think people do you can hear some birds outside bit of nature people don't talk about this film enough and i when i first saw it i really enjoyed it so what i'm gonna talk about stop me from going on is i want to 
to talk about what he did to Alice's character as a person. Obviously, the choice of nineteen um, of her being nineteen, thirteen years later, or whatever, is important because in that same time, you can do a lot with her character because she would not be the same person she was thirteen years prior to when she came to Wonderland. The CGI in this film. Let's get out of the way. Let's get out of the way. So I'm talking. I'm going to talk about the CGI now. This. Obviously, the first and last sections of the film are in not CGI. They're in, like, just people in normal, real life. And then the middle of the film, everything in Wonderland is CGI'd and is not real. It is done in a studio and it incorporates and works the real actors with the CGI landscape. Now, people do not talk about this enough, how good that was. Like, I have seen the marvel films and who he, you know those kind of films who use they use cgi all the time now they would rather do flipping guardians of the galaxies in space um like the whole thing's in space so how can you film that in real life just things like that obviously you've got like the avengers just all of the marvel films like the superhero films all that kind of thing all of that is in cgi now however this film came out in 2010 right that is 13 years ago and sometimes well most of the time i feel like this film has in terms of cgi has stood up better in time than a lot of the marvel films for example you've got like avengers assemble which came out in 2012 i believe this came out two years before and the cgi is so much so much better considering the entire landscape of the film and the entire point and world building of the film relies upon cgi really respect it and i also like how the kind of like non-cgi stuff at the beginning and end of the film nicely ties into the aesthetic of the cgi i don't love a lot of cgi as somebody watching i much prefer having real people and real landscapes i mean i don't hate it i respect it but it's not my favorite um but the fact that you could it kind of aesthetically merges i really love and it still stays tim burton so sometimes when cgi is used it's like we need to we need to make a dragon right now uh, and it's like okay let's just make a dragon and the dragon does not fit the landscape of the film so it just looks bad whereas i feel like this has been designed so meticulously that it everything flows together so it feels like you're watching one continuous film and not living in different dimensions halfway through wonderland feels plausible to the real world for me because it aesthetically matches in some ways there's just just little things are mirrored in wonderland than it is uh in the real life world and I, I, that's enough it's it's sometimes it's quite obvious but then other times it's like not as obvious but it's kind of comforting to see the parallels between the two worlds so that it doesn't feel so far away if that makes sense like it feels so plausible that she fell down a flipping hole and went into that world like it makes sense to me <laughs> bizarre but yeah it does it just makes sense to me um i really love the pale blue that was chosen the pale blue is everywhere and I think because there's a, I love to see this film as kind of like psychological, 
um, related to Alice's grief. So, of course, when she's going to her engagement party, it's not like happy colours and in yellows and uh, bright contrasting things. It's it's pale blue and white. It's very, like, bland. But you've also got that pale blue, which is, like, sad. Um, Alice always has a blue dress, and I think that in some ways it's because Alice is sad. You know, she's she's missing something in her life, which explains the whole kind of creation of Wonderland. Now, obviously, uh, Lewis Carroll <laughs> may or may not have been under the influence of certain things when he created this world. Um, however, how he actually did it and turned it into an actual story will always baffle me. But anyway, I love to explore the whole connection to Wonderland and the whole connection to the real world as a psychological reflection of Alice's character. And Tim Burton literally takes that as it takes that as, as canon then to then ma map out this world based off of this new Alice that has been created for this film. And it doesn't feel so ridiculous to say that they're the same person, if that makes sense. And then going back to what, like, when, when the film starts, we have, like, the, the title card is, like, Alice in Wonderland, whatever, I don't know. And there's a moon in the background, and I love that. Just loving the moon right there, because the moon perfectly encapsulates this type of film and this type of ideas, and just everything that's going on in this film is going to be dictated in a moon sense. So the moon is changeable, changes all the time, it has cycles. The moon um, is dark sometimes, you know, when it's like a new moon, but then it grows and it's a full moon. Um, so there's darkness and light. The moon is associated with femininity and also just emotions and things like that. And I love how we have the moon like leading us into this because it's important. And then also the moon is in Wonderland, so we do see it in Wonderland, I believe, if I'm trying to remember correctly. Um, and then also Alice's dreams, so the moon relates to her dreams as well. So for me, I love thinking of this as a big psychological map to explore. Um, everything is emotionally led, subconsciously led, and I think that in that way you can then interpret this film in whichever way you want to, interpret the film and the story in whichever way you want to, because literally nobody naturally knows, like it's so bizarre, it's like surrealist that you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, it, it does not matter, you can do whatever you want. So I think without the storylines and without the backstories and without the ties to the real world, Alice in Wonderland is, does become a surreal, surreal experience and a surrealist kind of venture. However, Tim Burton is not necessarily a surrealist guy. I think he could be if he wanted to be, but he's very much gothic. He takes the gothic kind of stuff and puts it into this surreal landscape, which makes it even more bizarre. And I just really respect that. And I really like that. Um, it just, yeah. Taking, yeah, taking the actual bizarre and then adding some darkness to it and adding some like yearning and some like tragic backstories really, really makes this and makes it seem more real. I like that about it, that it does seem more plausible. 
we're going to relate the moon to um, Alice. Now, I think that this film is a journey of um, Alice's kind of femininity and her agency. And I really love that from Tim Burton because one thing he does in a lot of his films is there isn't always a... It's not usually a female protagonist that he has. He loves a male protagonist because obviously he's a man. Uh, I get that. But like some of his female characters, his representation is is not the best. I I know, I 100% respect and know that so in this it was nice to see he had a female protagonist and he's using the same sort of depth as if he had a male protagonist obviously like i i really love edward scissorhands i think that that i love that whole story and everything but obviously he's you know the, the all of the kind of weight of the film is put on edward even though he doesn't really speak but <laughs> you know, all of that emotional weight is put onto his character, for example, and there are women around him, but they're kind of seen as placeholders. And I really like how this time we have all of the energy being on Alice. There could have been more. I think it could have gone deeper, 100%, but it's nice to kind of see that when you don't normally get that all the time. Yeah, I see this as kind of Alice's battle of femininity and all that stuff because you know if you take into context of her character we're like Victorian England and she's 19 so she's at that kind of age where she needs to probably be married or try to get married be engaged to some people some lords and shit as well she hasn't got a father anymore so the whole family is kind of relying on the husbands of the daughters to kind of carry on just with money and shit like that and horrible stuff like that So there's a kind of a real world contextual thing going on with her character. And at the same time, we know Alice to be, well, she was in in the animated film, Alice is a child. So we know her as a child and it's only 13 years gone by. So she's not, she's still technically, you know, she's still a child and she's kind of at that age where she's um, stepping into the real world and fending for herself when oftentimes people were protecting her for herself we see in first kind of section of the film where she's interacting with people around her and like she's realizing that life is not black and white so for example there's like that aunt imogen character is like a a crazy woman so she's kind of mourning a loss of something and it's like my prince is gonna come whatever and people all call her crazy and that character perfectly encapsulates that line between being completely and utterly delusional and carried away with yourself but then also on the other side there's madness to an extent and controlled madness and she represents that complete and utter delusion um, of being trapped within a world that does not exist so you've got that so you've got the two kind of ways of seeing that but then also her sister is married to this guy who's basically cheated on her multiple times and we see Alice kind of discover him and be like oh my god what the hell um I'll go tell my sister and he's like no don't you dare because you wouldn't want to ruin her perfect marriage would you so you know she's kind of being put into a horrible environment in which things aren't as quiet as they seem like her sister is like oh I'm so happy to be living this whole life I'm married and he's wonderful when he's not wonderful he's just been cheating on you the entire time and 
um, making you think that your life is perfect when it's just based on a bunch of lies. Um, so we have that kind of thing. And Alice is still kind of seen as a child. Uh, she's just lost her father, so she is kind of grieving. She's incredibly vulnerable. Yeah, I think this whole journey is her accepting that she can't change some things about the world, but also knowing that she can, she has agency to do whatever she wants. However, I think it's a bit insensitive considering that in the actual time period, it's not as easy as that. It's not as easy as going to Wonderland and slaying a dragon and doing whatever you want. Because one thing about this that I love but also don't love is how all the men after a certain point start listening to her and they take her seriously when in the real world that doesn't happen not yet it would be great what a feminist film um but like at the end where she says to the man she's like oh yeah we're gonna be business partners and he's like oh yeah cool i'm so excited and it's like what <laughs> that man is happy to be your business partner good for him <laughs> So it does feel a little bit insensitive, but again, the audience of this could be like children, so I'm a child. Um, so okay, that's a great message to send to your children. However, it's a bit naive. I felt the ending was a bit naive. But it's okay, it's fine. It's meant well, it meant well. But yeah, so even when she walks into Wonderland, the first thing she sees, we obviously have those flowers, which are in the original, um, and flowers are all to do with femininity and i think that there's a lot of kind of feminine imagery going around in this film like the moon you got the flowers and you've got like the queen of hearts and then the um what's the other one she's like the white the white queen and you're the red queen and the white queen for example just things like that um so i think that this wonderland being her inner world makes sense as to how many female figures are in that world or the kind of positions they hold not necessarily loads but yeah so um yeah i think this is her battling that and her own agency over other people controlling her and other people leading the life that she doesn't want to lead there you go there's one quote i really like i think it is from the original um book but um the mad hatter says to alice you've lost your muchness and that perfectly encapsulates what the patriarchy can do and did do at that time. Uh, it loves to restrict women and put them down. And I think that society can very easily, once you get into that kind of toxic environment, can very much repress you and control you. And again, that's something that Alice's character is really dealing with, is she's dealing with this restriction not just around like people around her but also emotionally she's dealing with grief and well she's obviously yeah still dealing with this grief and she's not allowed to express that because that society would not have allowed that i like that and i like that gothic element to it because there's a darkness to this story and i cannot get enough of it yeah i think as well uh with that restriction alice doesn't have a purpose her purpose would be to get married and have children and you know not everyone wants that and i think that that is another thing that's kind of like flung around so that loss of purpose can indicate this madness madness is used the word is used a lot and the whole idea of it is used a lot there are like little um 
circles um what's it called spirals like everywhere because that indicates this impending madness and maybe this is alice's journey to some sort of sanity and balance but you have to go through all this craziness to get there but sometimes it does feel like you're crazy when what you want is not what everyone else around you wants and people around you make you think that you want this thing like for example her engagement party people around her being like you want to be married you want this you want that and she's like uh what do i and then they kind of gaslight you (laughs) into thinking that that is what you want and then your whole life is literally based on a lie and you're living in madness every single day you think that's real so i think yeah it's all about perspective I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but it's all about perspective and just like not allowing other people around you to control you to the point where they're controlling your mind. I think this is what this film kind of nearly touches on and nearly kind of explores um, is people around you being affecting your, your like how you see yourself and affecting your like self-concept. And then when you reach this madness, it's because you don't care anymore and you have to be okay with accepting that. What was that was I saying? I don't quite know. I don't even know what that is, but there you go. (laughs) Um, Then I want to talk about the relationship between the Mad Hatter and Alice. So, oh, another thing to add is I love the casting of Mia Wasikowska as um, Alice. I love that because I think that was the first time I ever saw her in anything. So when you see an actor for the first time, you're like, you know, you remember them as that character. Uh, because that's just how you your baseline for them and I didn't appreciate until recently re-watching it that I really love that casting I love how girlish um she makes Alice um and I love how kind of you can see the pain that she's she's very moldable and vulnerable and you can see that and I think it just really adds to her character um because i think she genuinely wouldn't know what to do like you know your whole life has been lived for you by other people and you've like kind of lived in your crazy world on your own and then all of a sudden you're kind of told that you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to have some sort of control on your life that's really difficult to come to terms with you're vulnerable before you face things like that and it's when you face those things that your character will then shift I was going to talk about Alice and the Mad Hatter's relationship. Obviously, Johnny Depp plays the Mad Hatter. Interesting. I like how they kind of made him into a real person. I think that he is an enigma, definitely. He is very much an enigma. And I like how they made him into a person. Uh, So his madness can be justified. I think that it would be harder to have him as a character within the plot if his madness wasn't justified or explained. It's quite a, like, you know, um, run-of-the-mill explanation, but it works for the story. And also, I love the parallels between the Mad Hatter and Alice's father. I think that Tim Burton absolutely loves a parental authority relationship and... A, a, um, a protagonist relationship to their family he just absolutely loves it and i think he has a point because it can very much affect how somebody acts and what people do based on how their family has treated them in the past so i definitely see the connection between alice and the mad hatter being like father and daughter kind of thing because she's dealing with the loss of her father um who was labeled as mad 
So that label of madness that Alice maybe grew up with is not necessarily like a a label that other people would put to it. So it kind of introduces that idea of perspective and you can put on the meaning on this that you want to. And I like that about these kind of works because especially with surrealist stuff, with a little bit of surreal um, mixed in, I think that it can be very easily interpreted in certain ways when in reality the whole kind of beauty of the artistic beauty of surrealism can also be personal uh, to you so you can interpret it in which way you want to we see alice not have a good relationship with authority and i think the kind of justifying thing for that is the fact that her father has just died and she's really struggling with that loss but also with kind of like where she sees authority in her life now so maybe she saw she looked up to her father in that way and now that he's not there she doesn't really have anywhere to look up to she doesn't really have a direction so it's ironic that when we go into wonderland the craziest in quotations character is the one that she feels most grounded with since he represents her father crazy and that's just my thoughts (laughs) so it's ironic that he's seen as so crazy when actually for her he's incredibly grounding and she never sees him as mad and i think that is the basis of their relationship is she sees him as a person just as she saw her father and potentially looks up to him in that way which again is bizarre and it perfectly encapsulates the subjective approach you can take with this film yes with order and power and things like that the whole throwing around of the word marriage at the start represents a certain structure and um order and power and that kind of thing and it totally makes sense that alice would be running away from that you know i (laughs) i feel like for me i relate to alice's character because she is running away from this authority like she doesn't want to have to deal with that um she wants to just do her own thing and defy that thing but it's incredibly scary to do that so within this kind of journey in underland she gains this strength to do whatever she wants and defy authority which is a very hard thing to do however i think the ending in that way might have been a little bit rushed in terms of it's so great that it's unrealistic but at the same time this is a disney film (laughs) this is a disney film so maybe can i can i give it some slack i don't know back into the feminine kind of thing i'm going to talk about the red the queen of hearts versus the white queen now anne hathaway slayed as the white queen and so did helena bottom car as the red uh so yeah love that from them apparently tim burton wanted anne hathaway to be alice which i can see why he'd think that because i think that anne hathaway has played many characters that are like um alice in alice in wonderland 100 percent. but at the same time i really love the mia vosikowska casting 100 percent. um i prefer that to anne hathaway so i'm glad that didn't happen uh but she does make a good white queen even though she's not in it that much i think again the parallels and the kind of relation to femininity could have been i don't even know if it's intentional but like it could have been explored even more because i think that that's really cool um because who else would have you know this war between two women in their subconscious um if it was nothing to do with themselves 
obviously the re- the queen of hearts represents a more masculine femininity in the fact that she's quite she's a tyrant she's got a massive head she's egotistic so the queen of hearts represents this kind of rage and this kind of like sin i mean if you want to call it sin if you want to go biblical you can but like yeah just the bad bad maybe bad aspects to like femininity you know more masculine traits just that kind of thing obviously red connotes power um but also yeah anger stuff like that it's not necessarily a positive color if that makes sense um taintedness like not clean not pure and we have that directly up against a white queen however what i think is interesting is because again this is tim burton things aren't exactly what they seem and i like how the white queen wasn't necessarily cosplaying pure purity the white queen represents some sort of purity but more of an illusion of it and i think visually for us watching and for kids watching the film they can go the white queen's gonna win because she's pure and she's white whatever the hell that means but anyway she's kind of not though because we when we see her make the like potion thing she makes we kind of get some macabre elements added to her character by Anne Hathaway and I like that because it's all about the illusion of purity but it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means and goodness isn't there isn't a one goodness if that makes sense there isn't a one answer what I like about the kind of um, prophecy of Underland is more like it's cyclical instead of it being like they have a scroll it's a scroll like I've never seen a prophecy on a scroll if you ever had those as a kid if you ever ate those winders which had like little cartoons on like scrolls the prophecy reminds me of that (laughs) and it had like little cartoons on and it's it does feel more cyclical because it's like then this happens and this happens but it it feels like it goes on forever because it's so bloody long so i feel like it was more of a cyclical thing that happened a more of a necessary evil or goodness whatever that the hell that's supposed to mean but i felt it felt like it meant that something like that anyway um so i think that in some ways the red queen and the white queen represent different sides of alice and different sides of femininity and what that means to her as a person have I got anything else to... Yeah, so if you want to say it all is... Keep it all as, like, a subconscious. And obviously, the the big battle at the end's on a chessboard, which I think is pretty cool. Again, it's kind of like a war between the two, but it's not... It's not an easy war to win, if, if that makes sense. It's not like a, that's good, that's bad. It's more complex than that, and it's more psychological. There you go. Yeah, and, and the Queen of Hearts, I've put here, is, is villainized because of her kind of more masculine traits. Um, and she kind of lives within this delusion as well. So we've got kind of illusion. Oh, gosh. We've got illusion mixed with delusion, which are two different things. So the illusion is that the people around the Queen of Hearts, for example, are basically pretending to be like her so that they can be liked. So it's complete illusion, nothing as as it seems. However, that's mixed in with kind of like madness and we're in Underland, which is a mad place with mad people and crazy things. So it, it puts the difference between what illusion is and delusion and illusion you can choose. So you can choose to see things in a certain way, but that, it builds in with the delusion as well um and it kind of gives endless possibility if that makes sense 
what am I saying? <laughs> Endless possibility of whatever that is, whatever that means. So, what Underland, Wonderland, whatever you want to call it, is more of an infinite possibility kind of place. It makes sense that I'm going crazy over this because I do not know what I'm saying. I'm the one who's delusional. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously the red queen as well red hair is kind of seen as something mad uh, but also unlike sinful characters um it's just kind of a thing used across lo like all tv all film whatever um there's always kind of that character i don't necessarily agree with the villainization of red hair um but it is a thing also the mad hatter has red hair too so he is mad but not mad in the same way that the queen of hearts is mad if that makes sense I like how we don't villainize villainize her. She's just kind of a necessary evil that exists. Because I think if you were the Queen of Hearts, you would probably act in the way she acts. So it's like an understandable kind of thing. Yeah, I do not know what I've been saying. Yeah, and it's a journey to agency. Definitely. We've got transformation. So we have our little um, caterpillar, Absalom, played by Alan Rickman. And he turns into a butterfly at the end, and we see him as a butterfly on Alice's shoulder to further illustrate to us that she has changed as a person and she is choosing her own destiny. Um, love that. <laughs> yeah, and also I was going to talk about how with it's called Underland and not Wonderland. And I like that they kind of changed the name because... In Alice in Wonderland, we see Wonderland as a certain thing because we've already seen, well, most people who watch this film already saw the cartoon version. They already knew what Alice in Wonderland was. So when they come to this, they're gonna have th those expectations. And I think that is why people did not like this film. They have these expectations coming to it. So they changed it to Underland. I like them changing it to Underland because it represents the um, change of Alice's character. So as a kid, she's gonna be calling it Wonderland because it's so wonderful to her. But when you reach a certain age, you kind of see things in different eyes and you see things in a different way. There is a poem that I did at GCSE called The Death of a Naturalist by Seamus Heaney. And that is all about, it's got two stanzas. The first stanza is him seeing these tadpoles, seeing these frogs, and he's like, I love frogs. I'm gonna be a frog man. At the end of the poem, the second half of the poem, he comes back to the frogs as an older person and he is disgusted by what he sees. And then he is, and that's why it's called the death of a naturalist, because he is absolutely disgusted. He runs away. He's actually afraid of these frogs when he used to love them as a kid. So for me, it makes total sense that they changed the Wonderland name to Underland because it now represents Alice's subconscious because it's less present in her real life world but also it's tainted and it's different because she's a different person and she's grown up and she's witnessed things happen in her life that hadn't happened before is that the whole like experience changes you thing so I like how they changed the name because for me, it represents a change in her character and it gives room for Tim Burton to walk in and go, here's my interpretation. Because we wouldn't have been allowed another interpretation if it all had the same name and it was all the same. So I like how it's different. 
I like how it's darker. Aesthetically, it's also darker and it makes sense because Alice is older. So why would she see Wonderland in the same way? Because she's experienced injustice in the world. She's experienced illusion and delusion in the real life world as well as in this crazy place. Um, and again, talking about how the prophecies and the whole running of this world is cyclical with all the little circles and everything everywhere as well. Uh, it makes perfect sense that coming back, she's gonna come back to this world at a different point in its history rather than the point where she left off because that's just natural and that's just the natural progression. I like how this is darker. I like that how this is more gothic. Um, I love this interpretation of Alice in Wonderland and people can come and get me. I am not apologizing because I just like this. I love the combination of the CGI and then the actual acting. I think that the world building is very good. I never feel at all that I'm sitting down and watching a CGI created world. Watching this film, it feels like it actually exists. Now, the film was out 13 years ago. Oh my god, 13 years. I'm like the same progression of age that, oh my god, crazy. This is so weird. I never knew I'd be talking about this film on a podcast 13 years after I saw it in cinema. I think the elements of it, people are like, well, why do you need to do that? Or, okay. Um, but again, for me, it's classic Tim Burton and I love all this stuff. And I could watch it forever, over and over again, and I would not get bored. So, there you go. Um, okay, so, uh, got anything else to kind of say? Just because I just that I'm impressed with how how well this film has held up over time. Obviously, there are some bits that I've watched and I've gone, mm, you can tell that was CGI 13 years ago, but the majority of it is perfect and f very good quality. Um, I don't know. I will say this: I did watch this on Disney Plus, and Disney Plus like to adjust their films to make sure they are the best quality. So potentially, just saying, just a little bit of devil's advocate in here, they could have changed, they could have like recolor graded or just, I don't, enhanced parts of this film to make it stand better over time. So I might not have watched the original, if that makes sense. I actually have a DVD of it somewhere. I might watch the DVD and see if there is like a difference in terms of just like, yeah, just in terms of like um, the quality of the film. But anyway, I'm impressed by how well it's held up 100%. I don't feel at any point that the world building has not been put in. That's a really important thing about films like this. They need world building. I'm going to move on to, well, I'm basically kind of finished now, but... I still can't get my head around whether Wonderland is a dream. What, hap what happened to Alice when she was in Wonderland? What happened? Hmm. I like to not answer it. And I'm like, it just happened. <laughs> um, she said she hit her head. So I think that, especially because she was dreaming about Wonderland, it would make sense, like, if this was in reality, that she'd, like, hit her head, knocked herself out for a while and had this massive dream. 100% that makes does make some sort of real sense. You know, is Wonderland a real place? Because she falls down the rabbit hole and then she goes big and goes small and does that whole thing with the doors and shit. Um, but I don't know. I think it's up to interpretation. I think it is whichever way you see it, it is. 
because it's crazy this world is mad this world is crazy and you can see it however you want to so i'm not gonna answer that and i'm just gonna say do what you want do what you want say what you want i think that's all i'm gonna talk about this was a mess just like the film no this was crazy and mad just like the film and yeah i really like this one and i will re-watch this one I rewatch this one, I do it, it happens, and I'm not apologising for it. Do I think it is up there with some of Tim Burton's best films? Um, yes, I do. Come and shoot me. But it's true, I do believe that this is one of Tim Burton's best, better films. 100%. And I think that it deserves more hype. It deserved more hype than it had. And also check out the second film. Actually, don't check out the second film because I watched it a long time ago, so it might be worse than I remembered it. But I'm going to rewatch it and see if I like it again. But I also like that second film. I've been talking for over an hour and I'm going to finish it off. So that was Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton version. So if you like this episode, please leave a review, write a I have like weird Q&A's at the bottom of my episode so if you want to just join in with those on Spotify you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Movies on My Mind Pod uh, look out for any announcements that I have or any exclusive content that will be on those channels and I will see you very soon for an exciting franchise venture <laughs>